the more parents can sort of show that they don't need the child to ally with them. They're not doing them any service by throwing the other parent under the bus. It's not like it's not pleasurable to hear your child complain about the other parent. I mean, we, we all want to feel like we're the preferred ideal parent. In the Blend is a podcast series that helps parents navigate life within a blended family. Join me as I speak with experts and guests to get practical advice on how to have a harmonious blended family life. This series dives deep into the unique dynamics, logistics and challenges of raising a blended family. From new partners to juggling mixed finances, we will help guide you through it. Welcome back to In The Blend. I'm your host, Laura Jenkins. Before we start today's show, just a quick call out to let you know that we have a monthly email newsletter that goes out so you can keep across all things In The Blend. We cover episode highlights, interesting articles, and other bits and pieces relevant to the world of blended families. To sign up, simply visit intheblend.com.au or you can find a link in the show notes. Now on to today's episode. Today we are joined by Dr. Joshua Coleman, an esteemed therapist and family relationships expert to shed light on the critical issue of alienation that can impact both step and blended families. We aim to unravel the intricate web of parental alienation during our chat, a phenomenon that goes beyond a child's simple preference for one parent. Dr. Coleman guides us through recognizing the signs and symptoms of parental alienation and equips parents and step-parents with essential insights to identify and address this distressing behavior. This one is an insightful discussion on a particularly tricky topic. Let's dive in. Well, welcome, Joshua. Great to have you on the show today. I'm delighted to be speaking with you. And I must say, you have got quite the impressive background. Oh, thank you. So you're a psychologist, you're an author of four books, uh, a speaker, and from what I can see, you've put an absolute wealth of information out into the public arena relating to the very delicate subjects of parental alienation, estrangement, and couples conflict. I have many, many questions for you today, but to start us off, can you define parental alienation and explain its impact on blended families? Sure. Well, parental alienation um, is where one parent overtly or covertly poisons the relationship um, of the other parent with the children. So that can either be done by misrepresenting the past or the present or telling the children that that parent doesn't love them or blocking contact or um, in other ways interfering with that that relationship. So that's generally what we mean by parental alienation. Um, and some people distinguish between alienation and estrangement. I, I like to think of estrangement as being the overall catch-all category because there's many ways that parents and particularly adult children be, can become cut off from each other. I mean, one is where certainly after divorce, but others is where if the ch- adult child marries somebody that the parents don't like or the parents, um, or they, they don't like the parents, that can be a common cause. Mental illness, certainly in the parent, but also in the adult child. A therapist wrongly blaming the parent for the, how the child's the adult child's life has turned out, and for some adult children, uh, they just don't know any other way to feel separate from the parent than to cut off contact. So there's there's many pathways to estrangement, and alienation is just one of those. Mm. 
So alienation is not necessarily when a child has a preference to spend more time with a parent or all of that time, all of their time with a parent for that matter. It's really about the parent's uh, control in terms of um, coercing their child to believe that they shouldn't be in contact with the other parent. Right. And that can be done subtly or not subtly. Like a child might say, oh, I have this memory of mom or dad and that parent knowing that that's false, but not not correcting it mm. or making suggestions that things happen that didn't happen. And any anything that basically erodes the feelings of trust or love or security with the other parent, I think can be properly considered alienation. Got it. So what would be some of the common signs and symptoms of parental alienation that parents and step-parents should be aware of? Yeah. Well, it's refusal to come to the house. It's it's kind of black and white thinking, saying that the parent is all bad. It's rewriting history. Um, it's characterizing the parent as being untrustworthy or unloving. It's making a huge deal out of relatively small problems or mistakes that the parent has made. Uh, if the child is in therapy, like reconciliation therapy, where the goal is to heal the relationship between the parent and the child, where the, the alienating parent doesn't bring the child to the therapist's office, those are all examples of parental alienation. Got it. So if it's happening and you either think it's happening or you know it's happening, as a therapist in, and an expert in family relationships, what strategies or interventions would you recommend to uh, address it happening or even to prevent it happening if you think it could? Yeah. Well, one of the things is to make sure that you have a good lawyer because if you get divorced and you've got uh, your ex is really motivated to poison your relationships with your children, often there's not a lot you can do about it, particularly if you're not the custodial parent. I don't know how it works in the in Australia, but but here, you know, it's easy for one parent to get most of the custody, and that parent just generally has less less power and less authority um, and less ability to kind of influence the child's mind and thoughts and feelings. So you, one of the first steps is to make sure you have a good attorney because if things do start to go south and that parent says, well, you know, little Jimmy or Janet doesn't really want to come to your house anymore, or they don't want to, they don't feel safe there, or, you know, they don't, they, they don't want to have a relationship with you. If, if the parent doesn't have some kind of legal um, authority to make those visitations happen or to compel the child to uh, be in family therapy with that alienated parent, then the parent doesn't have very much, very much power. So that's one thing. Another is to make sure that you don't get pulled into the weeds if you're the parent who's being lied about. So if your kid comes over and says, well, mom said you never paid child support, or mom said you used to have affairs on her all the time, or dad says that you, you know, you were always yelling at us when we were little, and I'm starting to remember that, or whatever, you know, it's tempting to defend yourself angrily and aggressively, but you always want to keep your child's well-being in mind. So you might say, oh, what was that like? to hear that. You know, what did you feel hearing that? That must have been really upsetting. Well, is that true? You say, no, it's, it's not sure. I'm not sure why mom or dad is saying that. Let me see. If, let me, let me talk to them. But uh, I'm more concerned about, you know, about what it felt like for you. And if it's something concrete like child support, you know, you might say, well, I can show you the checks if you like. I don't know if that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is to not get all enraged and upset. And, you know, that's, 
that's so typical of your mother, or your father, you know, I, I can't believe they said that because now your child has, you know, now he's got two parents that's upset and mad and children feel very loyal to their parents. So they often will choose one parent over the other if they get caught in the loyalty battle. So you don't want to put your child into that position. It's bad for them. And it also doesn't position you as being kind of trustworthy. You want to, you know, the the analogy that I often use is you want to sort of think of yourself as being like a lighthouse that's on the shore and your child's being kind of pushed up and down way out to sea by the waves and periodically they can, you know, surface and see where you are uh, and then they're going to get pushed down again by, you know, by the other parents' brainwashing or negativity or criticisms or et cetera. And so by being the lighthouse, I mean by being steady, loving, compassionate, not getting into the weeds, keeping your child's best interest in mind. I think those are the main principles that that are useful for children. Mm. That's good advice. And I think the examples you gave there would be resonating with many people listening to this. I think they're very, very (laughs) real examples. Yeah. And it takes that certain level of, of self-awareness as a parent in that situation when your blood might be boiling to be, <laughs> to be the adult and, and to respond uh, appropriately like you just described. Right. So um, I'm assuming that therapy is probably a good idea as well for the parents if they're going through um, some difficulties hearing things via the child that have been said. Yeah, you need a lot of support if you're on the other end of alienation and you want to read up on it um, and and either, yeah, be in therapy, somebody who can kind of keep you from uh, saying the inappropriate things that you're really going to want to say. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's a really, a really good point. You need a lot of support because it's really hard. It's hard enough to feel like you're losing your child, but to feel like the other parent is orchestrating that um, is, is very, it's very provocative. So it's very hard mm-hmm. to respond productively, but you really have to work on responding productively. And when the children are grown up and they perhaps have a bit more perspective and they, they, they've got control to, to live wherever they choose and they're, they're off doing their own thing in their adult years, in your experience, is there any coming back? from parental alienation years down the track? Yeah, there can be. Um, yeah, certainly I think a lot of a lot of kids who've been alienated do eventually come back. They may realize that the parent who was the alienator was doing something that was really wrong and bad, bad for them, that that was a selfish act on their part. Or they may just be drawn to the parent who's kind of doing the lighthouse and showing that they're not the person that the other parent was characterized them as being. I mean, that's sort of another good reason to be the lighthouse is because that's your biggest argument that you're not this terrible person that the other parent is making you out to be. But a lot of parents um, do have reconciliations. Part of what's challenging for parents who um, have been through parental alienation where the other parent has been lying about them is that you know, they're tempted to defend themselves angrily and aggressively. And if a child, by the time a child is an, is an adult, they believe what they believe, right? If they've been brainwashed, then they believe what they've been brainwashed. So I commonly tell 
parents. So if your child says, well, you were always so critical of me growing up and the parent knows that they weren't, you can't just say, no, I wasn't. Or, oh, you're a victim of parental alienation or, you know, your other parent brainwashed you in that way. You still have to get on the same page as them. So you might say, well, I didn't think of myself as being critical, but maybe I have blind spots. Tell me what are some of the ways that you felt I was too critical? How would you like me to work on that? Would you be open to doing family therapy with me? In other words, you have to position yourself again as being kind of reasonable, open to criticism, open to feedback, because uh, that's the only way things are going to go forward. You can't, you can't, if your child believes what they have been brainwashed to believe, that's their belief system. So you can't just go at it head on. You have to empathize. You have to take responsibility. If you were critical in some ways, even if you don't think it justifies the alienation, you could, should still say, yeah, I guess I was critical in ways. I, I'm really sorry for that. I'm sorry that you know, it sounds like that impacted you more than I, more than I knew. I mean, in general, whether your adult child is not talking to you because of alienation, that a parent poisoning you, or because of other things, parents in general still have to show empathy, take responsibility, not blame, not get defensive, not get mad. They have to kind of create the right climate so the child wants to come back. Because once kids are an adult, they don't, nothing obligates a child to be close to a parent beyond whether or not that, that adult child wants that relationship. So the parent has to make it kind of seem inviting and worthwhile for them to do it. That's right. <laughs> and thinking about the child and the psychological impacts of this as well, I imagine they can be quite significant if it's if it's happening during your early childhood into your teenage years and then as an adult it might still be resurfacing. So yeah. uh, uh, is it worthwhile in situations where there is parental alienation taking place for the child to be seeking therapy as well? Yeah, well, for smaller children, the, the danger of individual therapy, I'm a bigger fan of family therapy than individual therapy, because the danger is that, you know, the average child therapist is going to support the child. And if they say, oh, well, my mom's so mean, or my dad's so mean, and they don't really have the other parent involved to really serve as a corrective to that or to really work with um, helping that parent with their behavior, it can actually make the alienation even worse because now you've got another adult who's supporting that mom or dad is terrible um, and it doesn't really it doesn't really move things more towards reconciliation. So I'm not a huge fan of the child being in therapy unless it's a therapist who's also doing family therapy along with it and moving things towards reconciliation. Now there are some parents who are too problematic. You know, parents say who molested the children, who was physically abusive, who's an out-of-control addict or alcoholic. And in that situation, the child may not want to be with mom or dad because they're just too dangerous. So um, in those situations, it's understandable if the child wouldn't want to be close to the parent. But I think even their parents should be helped and not just treated as pariahs. They should still be given you know, therapy and an opportunity to work with the child and increased education about how their behavior is impacting the child and the relationship with them, et cetera. It's such a complex beast, isn't it? It <laughs> is a very complex beast. Yeah. And um, I imagine there's, there's really no one size fits all here and some cases are going to be lifelong and others potentially not. Right. I assume if you're co-parenting effectively, you're mitigating the risk of parental alienation occurring in the first place. Yeah. So what advice would you have for co-parents 
to foster a cooperative and a supportive environment for their children to help them avoid getting into parental alienation territory? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for both parents to work as collaboratively as they can um, on, um, you know, talking about whatever the child is saying, if they have a complaint about that parent, um, you know, bringing that to the parent, trying to work together to address what those complaints are, not necessarily taking it purely at face value and, you know, getting all inflamed and upset about it, but more trying to work collaboratively. And that's hard for most couples to do realistically, right? I mean, if most couples could do that, then they might not have been divorced in the first place. I mean, part of the reason people get divorced is that they don't know how to have those kind of engagements and are too tempted to get into the right or wrong, or one person isn't good at it. So, um, and even when parents work collaboratively, it's still no guarantee that the child won't at some some point later in life choose one parent over the other. So parents can't completely make themselves immune from a later alienation or estrangement, rather. I mean, even if there's not active alienation, there still may be an estrangement um, later. But the more parents can sort of show that they don't need the child to ally with them, they're not doing them any service by throwing the other parent under the bus, you know, which is also, I mean, I'm divorced and remarried. I, I remember when my child was little, um, from my first marriage, I would, you know, it's, it's not like it's not pleasurable to hear your child complain about the other parent. I mean, we, we all want to feel like we're the preferred ideal parent. Um, so it takes a certain amount of discipline not to, you know, kind of go, yeah, I know what you mean. That's why I, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so it takes a lot of discipline and restraint, but, but it's important to do it for the sake of your child. Absolutely. Yeah. And based on your research and the work that you've done with families, have you have you got some success stories or sure. any <laughs> any examples where uh, parental alienation has been addressed effectively, or we've had a positive outcome on the other side? Yeah, you know, I've worked with with a few families where one of the parents acknowledged that they were alienating the other child and worked with that parent to try to heal that and to take responsibility, which I can't say it happens a lot, but I was impressed that the parent did acknowledge that and kind of face it. And I think if you have done that and you've been an alienating parent, and um, if you can actually do that, it's better for everybody um, if you can. But often it happens from the parent taking responsibility. I mean, one of the big things I encourage parents to do is to write a letter of amends where they find the kernel, if not the bushel of truth in the child's complaints, uh, where they don't complain about the other parent, where they just take responsibility and show empathy uh, and compassion for the child. To me, that's sort of the biggest single thing that a parent can do to heal the distance between themselves and a child. And do they, would you typically send that letter or read it out to the child or it doesn't really matter as long as you're taking the time to think carefully about the words? Yeah, I generally recommend an email or a text. Um, Typically the parents who, by the time they reach me, the child probably isn't even talking to them. So usually it's going to be over email or text. Um, But but yeah, that's that's typically the best thing to do. Those are hard letters to write, though, too, because it's tempting for parents to be defensive or to say, "Well, if I did anything that hurt you," rather than just facing the way that they were problematic or the things that they did, et cetera. But that's really the best the best pathway to potential reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And for someone who's wanting to learn more about alienation, estrangement, where's the best place for them to go to do that? 
Well, there's different different people who who write about that. I mean, I certainly write about it. They can check out my website. Um, Amy Baker in the U.S. has done a lot of research uh, on that. Um, um, trying to think of other people. There's a parental alienation study group uh, in the U.S. They have also uh, produced articles. So I think some of the those are some of the more the best places to begin to look. Fantastic. And if if listeners are keen to connect with you directly, Joshua, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Through my website, www.drjoshuacoleman.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-U-A-C-O-L-E-M-A-N.com. They can either email me there. I I have an ongoing webinar series for estranged and alienated parents. I also have a a free Q&A that I do every other Monday. It's at 11.30 Pacific. I don't know what that is in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's quite early in the morning here, but... uh, (laughs) They can question and listen to the replay later. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Very good. Well, it's just been wonderful chatting with you, Joshua. I really appreciate the time you've taken to share your insights. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, thank you. No doubt it will be extremely valuable for some of our listeners, so... Once again, really appreciate your time. Yeah, hope so. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the In The Blend podcast. The show notes for this episode are available at intheblend.com.au. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and please rate and review in your podcasting app. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. LinkedIn.